Hey, I want to welcome you to Mount Olive Church. So glad you joined us. If you're brand new with us, my name's Alvin. I'm uh, one of the pastors here and excited to be able to bring the word to you today. Um, thank you, Cheryl and team for leading us. That was so good already. And just hearing all of you sing. And I know those of you at home listening on podcasts in your car, you were singing out loud. It was embarrassing as people saw you, right? But you were all in. So that's good. You know, there are there's some control freaks out there. You know who I'm talking about, right? Because you know who you are. Yeah, you may be a, a control person if you don't like surprises because it was a surprise and you're a control person, right? It's like, ah, I just don't like it when there's surprises. Uh, you may be a control person if you're the kind of person that, you know, when there's decisions to be made and direction to be set, whether it's like family vacation or family something or your business or your school or the church, you're the kind of person that just likes to have some say. In fact, you find it's just easier if you get the most amount of say, right? You may be a control person. Uh, you may be a control person if you like stability, predictability. You can kind of plan have your thing and nothing gets in the way of what you've planned and set into motion, you may be one of those control people. Uh, you may be a control person if COVID was hard, and COVID was hard for a lot of reasons. I don't want to get into all of it, but particularly every morning you'd wake up and there's a new set of rules. And like, what are the rules? And then you'd finally figure out what the rules are and you talk to someone else and they have a different interpretation of the rules. It's like, come on, you know, it was just hard. You may be a control person. The last few years have been hard financially because of the economy. And it's up and down and all around and you have no idea what's coming next. And it's just annoying. You may be a control person. Now I just let you in on my personal struggles. And maybe you relate to some of the things that have been a struggle for me personally. Maybe you find, ah, oh, that's been challenging. Maybe it's been challenging in other areas of your life. But there is this desire, human desire, to have control. It's not bad always, but there is a human desire, and I think a God-given, we are meant to have a semblance of control. And we want to manipulate outcomes and set direction, and that can be good, but it can also well, it can be dangerous. And there's a, a question we have to wrestle with as it relates to this desire for control. And sometimes when we go overboard in our desire for control, and the question is this, what do you do when there's nothing to do? Or maybe said another way, what do you do when there is no ability to manipulate or control outcomes? You have come to the end of yourself. And there's things in your life outside of your, your control that have begun to make your life feel out of control. What do you do when there's just nothing left to do? You know, maybe you scream and shout and then go see therapy. Maybe, like many of us, you medicate through anger, medicate through a substance, Maybe a distraction, you just shop more, right? It's like, I can't control, I'm just gonna shop. But what do you do when you can't manipulate or control the outcomes anymore? Where do you turn? Who or what or where is your stronghold? 
You know, there's an interesting story in the Old Testament. I, I find it so fascinating. It's a story of King David who was anointed king while the other king was still king, which happens to be a problem for kings. King Saul was not happy about this King David thing. And as he started to get wind of it, it was just, it kind of threw him as king. But what makes the story even more kind of twisted and interesting is David, who had been anointed king while Saul was king, was the son-in-law of King Saul. He had married Saul's daughter. On top of that, he became best friends of Saul's son, Jonathan, who was heir to be king. It's a messed up story. And as King Saul, who was king, felt this threat from David, whether he knew he'd been anointed king, who knows, but he felt the threat. He made it his life mission, his life mission to take David out. And he put his, all his energy, all the army's resources and energy to hunt David down and kill him. And you can imagine at different points in this live or die chase for David, so like, like kind of like life and death, pass, fail, you fail, you're dead, right? It's like, you can imagine at points he came to his end and he had nothing left and he could not manipulate the outcomes or the direction of what was gonna happen. It's just like, I've got nothing left. And for David, it took a lot to get there because David, you may remember, was the one who killed Goliath. He's a warrior. David was the one who killed 200 Philistines by himself just to get the right to marry the, the daughter of King Saul. I mean, this is a, a man's man, a gladiator type man. I mean, for him to get to the end took a whole lot, but even for him, there were moments where he came to the end. And it's interesting, in one close call with King Saul, where he was almost killed, we're told this, in 1 Samuel, that Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. What is a stronghold? Well, physically, a stronghold, literally, it just means a mountain stronghold. It was a high place in ancient times, often a high place, also known as a fortress. Fortress, a stronghold, often the same word in Hebrew that we translate to English. So they would, he went to this stronghold, to this fortress, often a high place where you could not be easily surprised by your enemy. You have a sense of control. And even if an enemy was to attack, you had the upper hand. You were on a high place. And David often went with his men as they were being chased by uh, King Saul day and night. He would go to places of, that were called strongholds. But David understood that there was another th aspect of this idea of stronghold, not physical, that God was his stronghold. And he writes this in one of the many songs he wrote. He was very creative. And we have them in our scriptures as Psalms. He said, the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is there, let's say it together, stronghold. The salvation of the righteous come from not themselves. The salvation of the righteous come from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. And David understood what it looked like to not only go to a physical stronghold, but go to his spiritual, emotional, mental his life stronghold, which was the Lord. I want to welcome you to our series called Stronghold. 
And uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be diving in. What does it look like to live in the stronghold of our Heavenly Father? And rather than simply after we've tried everything in our own strength, last resort, maybe I'll try God. (laughs) What would it look like for us to live our lives in the shadow of the Almighty? To live our lives walking under His strong arm. We have a theme verse for this series that the series is built off. One verse written by King David, a wonderful man who wrote many cool uh, and amazing psalms. But it's found in Psalm 63 verse 8. And I would love for all of us, even if you're brand new, you're like, I'm not a religious person. I was my first time to church. I want all of us over the next three weeks to memorize this verse. And it's super easier. It's only nine words, okay? So let's Say it together. I'll actually read it to you and then we'll say it together. It says this, Psalm 63, verse eight. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Simple, right? I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. In fact, let's say it out loud together because we're gonna memorize this together, okay? So all together now. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. One more time. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Now I want you to close your eyes. Now let's say it one more time, okay? With your eyes closed, online, no watching. Together, I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. And half of you cheated. So I'm taking it off. Now close your eyes. Let's try one more time. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Now as a pastor, I know it is very dangerous to ask your congregation to close their eyes in the middle of a message. You just never know if they're going to open again. So wake up. We're still here, okay? I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know, there's two main ideas in this little verse. The first part is the first four words. I cling to you. This is a call, an encouragement, a declaration. And this is our responsibility David is saying, this is what I want to do. And he's calling us as we recite this with him. This is what we, this is our responsibility. This is on us. This is on you. Will you declare with the psalmist, Lord, I cling to you. But the second part of the verse is actually not our responsibility. It's what God does, isn't it? It's the Lord's right hand who upholds. The call for us is to cling to the Lord. And over the next two weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna dive into what would it look like to cling to the Lord? What would it look like to run to him as our stronghold, to find our confidence in him? But likewise, isn't it true there's moments in our life when I don't know if I have the strength to hold on anymore. And this is what your heavenly father does. He holds you. And we're going to look at that in three weeks as we close this series. So today, as we dive into I cling to you, who is it and what is it that makes it so challenging for us to hold on to God or to run to God as our stronghold? And I want to present to you today two groups of people that really struggle to cling to God. Two groups of people, and and you may relate to one more than the other. You may relate to both. But there are two groups of people, and there's a lot of people that struggle to hang on to God. But there are specifically two groups of people I want to dive into. And the two groups of people are the young 
The young struggle to cling to God and the other group of people is the old. And you may, I don't know where you land, you may kind of sense or you may uh, uh, relate to one more than the other. If you're like me, you just relate to both, okay? You're like, sometimes I think young and sometimes I think old. And it's just a struggle for me to hang on to God. Now, what we're going to see today is that there are nuanced reasons to this struggle for the young and the old. But the root struggle is actually the same. It's pride. Pride is a great enemy of us hanging on to God and going to God as our stronghold. So let's start with the young. How does this play out with young people? Now, before we dive in, I just want to say this, you know, young people, I love you, okay? I love young people, and I think there is so much opportunity with the young. In fact, uh, I want to say the young often have this vision and belief that God can do anything and that the world can be changed. And I love that about young people. And it's often through young people that God does uh, change the world. And so don't hear me today, you know, just kind of like, here's the pastor just coming down on young people again. No, 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 not at all. But there is a unique challenge for young people as it relates to holding on to God that I want to talk about today. And it relates to pride. So if you have your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs was written mostly by a very wise man, a king of Israel named Solomon. He was actually David's son. Remember David, the story I told you earlier? So Solomon was a wise man, some say the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote a whole book in our Bibles called Proverbs, these little sayings and concepts that give us wisdom, wise, wise literature. And Solomon writes this in Proverbs chapter three, verse one. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. So here's presumably an older, wiser king named Solomon who has gained experience and wisdom both from the Lord, but also from his experience. And now as an older man, he writes this message to his son, presumably this younger man. And Solomon says, here's some things you're going to need to know. And he writes about, here's what it looks like to cling to God. My father told me that, Solomon would say. And now as your father, I'm telling you, but he puts it in his own words. But then he shows us a, a particular challenge for the young in clinging to God. Moving ahead a few verses to verse five, Solomon writes this. My son, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is Solomon's version of what his father had written earlier. What his father undoubtedly had spoken to him. Solomon, are you going to cling to the Lord? And now Solomon to his son says, son, trust in the Lord. Cling to the Lord. Find your confidence in, your, in the Lord. Run to the Lord. He is your stronghold and run to him with all your heart. Now, why would Solomon write this to his son? Because he knows his son's gonna need it. But what he says next shows a particular challenge for the young in living this out. Solomon writes, and do and lean not on your own understanding. There is a temptation and there is a propensity among young people to simply think they know better it's like, I, I won't fall into that same trap. I know better. Oh, there's a whole bunch of people that walked down that road and fell into that vice, but I'm gonna be smarter than them. 
And there is a propensity, young people, listen up. There is a propensity among young people to lean on our own insight. To have this idea, I'm smarter than everybody else in the room. I'm not gonna fall for the things they fell for. I'm gonna be different. I know the trend is that way, but I'm different than the trend. And rather than leaning in to our heavenly father, young people can lean in on their own understanding. So Solomon says, you gotta trust in the Lord with all your heart. And in all the ways you are tempted to think I'm smarter than them. Don't lean in on your own understanding. Lean in on the understanding of God. So what does that look like practically? Give us a how-to. And Solomon, he's so wise. He's like, here's how. Here's how as a young person, you're gonna trust in the Lord and how you're gonna keep from leaning into your own understanding. He says, here's how. In all your ways, submit to him. In all the ways you think you're smarter, in all the ways that you think you're brighter, in all the ways you think your life is gonna look different, even though you're walking on the same path that they walk, in all your ways, take your ways and simply put them underneath his ways. That's what it means to submit. It says, I'm gonna put myself under you. You know, you can actually submit to people you disagree with. Simply saying, I disagree with you, but I'm choosing to put myself under you. And as a young person, undoubtedly, you're gonna come against scripture and you're gonna come against God's word and there's gonna be times you're gonna say, God, I don't know if I really agree with you on this. In fact, your word was written a whole long, a lot longer. It was written a long, long time ago. It's out of date. It's not culturally sensitive. It doesn't fit where our world is today, but I'm gonna take all the ways in which I'm having a hard time agreeing with you, God. And I'm gonna place my ways under you. In all your ways, submit your ways to his ways. And then Solomon says this, he says there's, there's payout. Because every decision you make has payout. And here's the payout he gives. As you trust and you lean not on your own insight, but you lean in on him and you submit your ways to his ways. He will make your paths straight. Your life will just be better for it. The author of life who gave you life tends to know what makes life good better than we do, even when we have a hard time agreeing with him. And then Solomon, because uh, he's just a wise guy, and he probably had a son that was kind of like me and it's like, okay, I kind of got lost. There was a whole bunch there. Dad, can you just give it to me as blunt as you can, right? Like no, you know, beating around the bush, just give it straight up. What are you saying? And Solomon's, Solomon's like, here's the summary of what I just said. One verse, verse seven. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. There's a temptation and a propensity among young people to think I'm smarter than you. And Solomon says, ah, that's, that's pride speaking. Do not be wise in your own eyes. As you trust in the Lord and you submit your ways to him and you're not leaning in on your own understanding, you're gonna fear the Lord and you're gonna shun evil. See, the young can struggle to hold on to God because of the pride 
of knowing better. I just know better. Let me give a few examples of how I've seen this play out in many lives, my own life, but many in words I hear from young people and elderly people all the time as it relates to this idea of this pride of just knowing better. It shows up in the area of temptation often. And there's this this propensity among young people to to see the trajectory of, hey, if you make this decision, this decision, this decision, you kind of end up there. But as young people are like, well, I can make those decisions, but it's going to turn out different for me, right? So like alcohol, drugs, smoking, whatever it is, like, well, it's not going to become advice for me. It's not going to become an addiction. I'm just going to go to the party. I'm just going to have one, right? And then one becomes two and two becomes three. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a place you don't want to be. And how did that happen? You know, it's interesting. Almost every story of someone who has a habit, almost every story of someone who has a habit that they regret, it started with them thinking, this isn't gonna become a habit that I regret. Almost every habit in your life, in the lives of others, that we regret often started with us what? Thinking young. It's not going to lead that way for me. I'm smarter. I'm better. There's a propensity among young people because of the pride of knowing better to stop holding on to God. And this is true in many other areas. In the area of relationship and purity, there's a temptation among young people like we're just dating, we're having a good time and well, we love each other and we got to try out the relationship and we go further sexually than Well, God's word would invite us to go. But it's gonna be better for our relationship and God's word says it's actually harmful for your relationship. And now it's like, what do I do? Am I gonna submit my ways? But God's word is so outdated. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. The young can struggle to hold on to God because of the pride of knowing better. Now, what about the old? Let's not just pick on the young. We'll just kind of pick on everybody. Here's what I want to say to the young. The sooner you admit that you can't do it alone, the sooner you will turn to God as your stronghold and thrive. The sooner you admit, okay, God, I can't. My ways are not better than yours. The sooner you will live under the shadow of the Almighty. You will turn to him as your stronghold. You will begin to thrive. Okay, what about the old? Surely the old don't struggle to hang on to God, right? I mean, the old have experience, they have a wisdom, and they have all the stories, especially if you walked in faith as a young person, all the stories of God's uh, abundance and grace coming through in your life. Surely with all that wisdom, experience, and the stories of God's faithfulness, it is easy as an old person to hang on to God, and what we find out is it's not. And we see this in the story of a king of Israel. So if you have your Bibles, flip them over a little bit earlier than Proverbs to 2 Chronicles, starting in chapter 14. This is a story of the third king of the southern kingdom of Judah. He actually happens, his name's Asa. He actually happens to be the great grandchild of Solomon. So after Solomon, who ruled Israel, the nation split into two. There was a civil war and the northern kingdom was the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom was the kingdom of Judah. Asa was the third king in the kingdom of Judah, the great grandson of Solomon. And we find in the story of Asa that he was 
passionate, passionate. He was all in with God. If he, and I'm sure he did, heard the words of his great-grandfather in Proverbs chapter 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, Esau was living this out as a young person. We read this in chapter 14, verse 2. Esau did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He was all in with God. And here's how he did it particularly. He removed the foreign altars, the high places, and smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. These were forms of worship to false gods. So he got rid of all those forms of worship and he commanded Judah, his kingdom, to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He said, listen, people, we got to shun evil and fear the Lord. We are not wise in our own eyes. If there was anyone who was all in with God, Asa was all in with God. In fact, at one point, um, right early in his reign, he, I think he started as a young, young guy because there was the queen mother who was kind of in charge. It was his grandma and he disposed her from her place of authority. This young guy rising up, he's like, because she apparently had brought an Asherah pole in and was leading the nation into worship of false gods. And he's like, grandma, you're off the queen throne, right? Like he was all in with God. Well, at one point, the Cushite army, an enemy army, came after the southern kingdom of Judah. And they were a great, massive army. And, and, and Asa, in his wisdom and his trust in the Lord, responded this way. And then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Just so you know, Lord, we're the powerless right now. And that army coming against us, they are mighty. So help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. Who is he chasing after? The Lord God, right? And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. And they, the entire nation, being led by the king, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Asa's living it out as a young king. In fact, he went, he went, I think, overboard. But all who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. Now, we may disagree with his methods. All right, maybe it's like, I don't know, if people don't believe in God, maybe we shouldn't kill them. But what we agree on, I'm sure, is this guy did not lack passion and trust in the Lord. He was all in with God and he had seen the works of God come through because after this prayer, scripture tells us that God helped their army defeat the Cushite army and they were spared. Now we would imagine at this point that Asa, as he gets older and presumably wiser with all his experience and all his wisdom gained and all the stories of God's faithfulness from the past, surely it would get easier for him to hold on to God as an old man. And it turns out the same challenges the young face came against him, but in a nuanced way. We're told at the end of his reign, near the end of his reign, the Northern Kingdom, remember Israel? They began to become aggressive against the southern kingdom, his kingdom. But rather than rely on the Lord, rather than go to the Lord for help, in his wisdom and all his experience in old age, he'd been through this before. 
As an old man, he turned to an ally, the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad. And to buy an ally, he took the treasures from the temple of the Lord so that Aram, the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad, would become an ally of his to defeat the northern kingdom. (laughs) Rather than seek God, he used the things of God to buy an ally. And God sent a prophet to him with this message. And we see his message and Asa's response. At that time, Hanani, the seer, which is like a prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because, message from the Lord, because you relied on the king of Aram and did not, uh, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Because you relied You stop putting your trust in. You leaned in on your own understanding. I've been here before. We got this. And you stop trusting God. And then God reminds him, were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, what did he do? He delivered them into your hands. He made your path straight. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It's like God saying all over again through his great-great-grandfather David, I cling to you, Lord. Your right hand upholds me. And God says, the the eyes of the Lord are searching through the earth to strengthen and hold on to those who say, Lord, I cling to you you. And then God says, what you have done is foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. (laughs) And Asa responds, and he's at a crossroads, isn't he? How is he going to respond? Is he going to respond with humility or pride? And listen to Asa's response. But before I do, I want to read something that his great-grandfather wrote. Solomon said, whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. Whoever loves discipline and correction, they become wise. But when you lean in on your own understanding, you are not willing to take wisdom and correction. That is foolish. And here's Asa coming against some correction. God is saying what you, done, what you just did was foolish. How is he going to respond? Loving the discipline or is he going to hate it and prove his true colors? Listen to Asa's response. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. And he was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people, probably his own people. So rather than accept the messenger, he shot the messenger and then had a temper tantrum and just hurt a whole bunch of people who had, were completely innocent, showing his true colors. And what's sad is Asa would go to the grave with his reliance in his own understanding. We read on that in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord but only from the physicians. And undoubtedly, God's word is not saying that it's wrong to go to a doctor. But what Asa did is he tried every possible angle 
except for what should have been his first response. It wasn't that he went to the doctors that was wrong. It was that he only went to the doctors and never sought the Lord his God. You know, for the old, the old can struggle to hold on to God because of the pride of knowing better. You notice that the challenge and struggle is the same for the young and the old. It shows up in nuanced ways. For the young, it's all projection. They haven't lived it yet. I'm just the smartest in the room. I I can take the same steps they all took, but I'm going to have a different outcome. And we project and we think we're smarter than everyone. But for the old, we look back and the temptation is to go back and look at all of the experience and wisdom gained and start to put our trust in the wisdom and experience rather than the God who gave us the wisdom and the experience. And suddenly we think, well, I got this on my own. I know better. But as with the young, the sooner you admit you can't do it alone, the sooner you will turn to God as your stronghold and thrive. No wonder Asa's great-grandfather wrote, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And undoubtedly, as you look at your life, and you see the places where you have fallen. If you rewind the tape, young people, you'll know what rewind is. It's a cassette thing, VHS thing. If you skip back on the song, if you rewind the tape, there's probably some decisions made out of pride, weren't there? The sooner you and I admit you can't do it alone, the sooner you will turn to God as your stronghold and you'll begin to thrive because the God who created your life knows best how to give life, both temporal and eternal life. Which is why, listen to Jesus' words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Life revolves and is centered in the person of Jesus. And as we cling to the Lord, and I know one day as I get to heaven, I'm gonna cling to Jesus and guess who's gonna hold me up by his powerful right hand? The only one who can hold me up. But as we live in this temporal world, we too are called. Will you cling to the Lord? Will you say with David, I cling to you? Your right hand upholds me. I don't know as this hits you today, maybe there's a relationship and a conflict that right now you're trying to grab some control over or respond by leaning into your own wisdom and how to respond to that conflict. Maybe there's a relationship that you're navigating right now and you're kind of tending to lean in. Maybe there's some things that are happening in your life. You're like, I've been here before. I've got this. And I don't know in what ways you're tempted to think young today. And I don't know in which ways you're tempted to think old. But would you lay down your pride and go to your heavenly father as you face that situation. Say, Father, I don't bring in my own understanding, not even the wisdom and experience you've given unless it revolves around what you say. Father, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. So as we close, I'd like us to say this out loud together. You've memorized it already, so I'm gonna take it off the screen. Just kidding. I'll leave it there. 
But I want you to right now think in your mind, think about an area right now where you're tending to try to grab control. Maybe more control than you should be grabbing. God is calling you to lean in on his understanding. And as you say this, would you say this with that in mind, and maybe you even open your hands as a sign of God, a physical sign saying, God, I release this to you. I'm letting go of my understanding and I'm leaning in to you. So let's say this together. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Father, today we wanna be a people that live in the shadow of your wing. We don't wanna be a people that simply run to you after we've exhausted every other possible solution. But we wanna be a people that run to you as the first and only solution. And that as you give us wisdom, we walk in your way rather than in our own. So Father, would you give us help, give us what wisdom, give us ears to hear your voice. We humble ourselves before you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.